Previously, on the Gilded Age, we met the whole gang. We had Marion moving up to New York from Pennsylvania after her father's passed away. Now she's moving in with her aunt Ada, Ada Brooke, and her other aunt, the wealthy Agnes Van Rhyne. Across the street from them are the Russell family, uh, Bertha and George, as well as their children, and their new money. The Brooks and the Van Rhynes, they're old money. Now, we've already seen this clash begin in front of us on screen. How will it evolve? Let's find out this week on the Lords of Grantham podcast. And just like that, we're back in New York, back in the New York groove in 1882. Gill Age, episode three. Here we are. These episodes have names to them, too. Yeah, they do. Uh, what was this? This one was... Uh, Julian thinks he's a little clever this time. You know, he can get away with it. So this one is Face the Music. Yeah, and it's like... It, it comes into play. It's a quote later in the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Downton didn't have named episodes or anything like that. But Occasionally, it would be like the London season. Right. It would be the holiday episodes is when he'd name them. So, uh, you know, they're just really loosening the, the reins on Julian Fellows to run wild uh, with this Gilded Age show. Um, before we get to the episode, Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Corey. How are you? How, how's the how's modern day New York? <laughs> it, it's uh, it's modern. It's it's a it's beyond what we're seeing in the show here. I've been reading a lot about comparisons of this show to 1883 airing on Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. How this takes place, you know, same time, and just the lives are completely different. Uh, and apparently, people are pairing the two just to give themselves some throwback to the 19th century. So, Interesting. if you're one of those people, sure, we're, we're here to you know bring it to the modern age for you. Um, aside from that, I don't think there's been too much going on in the world of Downton uh, to report. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think things are just, you know, kind of quieted down until the next movie comes along. Yeah, and I mean, once that that hype train starts rolling, we're going to need to get a be be diligent. Hunker down. <laughs> yeah. So we should enjoy the, the calm right now, the Gilded Age calm. But I mean, people are talking about the Gilded Age is very popular. It is popular, popping indeed, and we can just get to it. You know, there's a, there's a lot to cover. This episode was 55 minutes. Mhm. Uh after last week going down forty to forty six minutes, you just wonder: Is Julian Fellows just you know, he's just feeling himself? He really, truly is. He's just doing what he wants. He's having the time of his life. The Lord, <laughs> we, we can just feel it. It's emanating throughout the show itself. Uh, definitely getting more echoes of Downton uh, this week. A little bit more. I'm glad we're not spending too much time downstairs. And I think we, we if we just want to start with that subplot. We have a downstairs subplot. Well, well, let's start with one thing, though. This intro, this is the first week I skipped it, because, you know, we got it last week for the first time, so I skipped it this week. And I, I thought it'd, you know, just be like a nice 30 seconds, 45 seconds. It is an entire 90 seconds that you skip over, which is critical when you're watching a 55-minute episode of TV. You know, you really want to get through some of these when you're, when you're binging. So, thank God they have that option in this day and age. <laughs> Yeah, I think I watched it this time just because I was on my phone or something and missed the the button. Mm-hmm. And 
Wait, you, you, so you, you, they give you like three to five seconds to hit skip intro and you missed it. And then you just said, well, I'll just I'm sit here, here a minute. Well, I, I watched <laughs> it pretty late. much as soon as it's available to watch on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. So I try to hit play as close to nine as possible because I'm a, a grown up who has to go to bed for work. So it's, mm-hmm. I try to be done with it as early as possible. And so you don't want to risk having to go back and then missing the skip intro again. Yeah, exactly. And then, well, do, adding a HBO does the thing where they put like a trailer for something else beforehand, mm. and then I skip that, and then I miss the second skip button. So that's how they get you. That's how they get you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> every time. Got, well, I don't know what they're getting from me. They already have my money. They already have my attention. There's what there's someone in the back office somewhere just feeling like got him. <laughs> he <laughs> watched the knew. intro. <laughs> yep. He's putting his phone on it. silent to enjoy the show for the podcast, and then nope, nope, that's He's what stuck. you get. Um, so yeah, I mean, let's let's clear through the downstairs, uh, the low hanging fruit uh, fruit uh, plot lines. David, sound like there was a juicy one you wanted to get to. It's not really juicy. It's this. Um, okay. Jack is he like a? I don't know exactly what his role is. Jack Treacher, not to get confused with Jack Reacher, a new show on uh, Amazon based off the popular book series. Mm-hmm. Jack Treacher is a <laughs> or Treacher. We haven't said his last name, but I just looked it up on IMDb. Is That's he related to Arthur? No, not not that I'm aware of. Arthur Treacher, uh, no. Um, this actor has a gigantic head for such a small body. I can't get past it, Dave. I don't know about you. Or he has a tiny neck. He's a very tiny neck. He's in. He's a real fellow's um, broken toy, if you will. You know, Julian loves Mm -hmm. himself a sort of amateurish character actor to come in and have a little role where they don't do much. And but they they the attention is on them when they're in the scene, Uh, and he's just one of the the servants downstairs, and he has interest in taking up Bridget to uh, some sort of magic show. Well, it's a lantern show. So it's basically yes. just using slides on a projector and 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 what's the what's the big big dog's name downstairs? Bannister. Bannister? Mr. Bannister mm-hmm. the very down exchange of you know Daisy and and Jimmy want to go out to the show and Hughes is like Mr. Carson, don't you think they should go and Carson's like I don't think that's necessary. You could almost accuse fellows just of recycling <laughs> doubt on elements here, because uh, this is this is like through and through. Jack wants to take Bridget to uh, a, a show. They they disapprove, but they'll begrudgingly let them go anyways. The female Meanwhile, the female uh, authority figure downstairs kind of leans in on the male authority figure and says, mm-hmm. "Maybe you need to be a little bit more progressive because times are changing." Right, and meanwhile, Bridget is just. She's not sure. She doesn't really, really isn't really sure she wants to go. And then the female help is like, or um, is like, yeah, Miss Bauer is, is saying, "Aren't you happy? This is great." Bridges is not not feeling it. Not feeling it yet. Right. But then we see this uh, projection show. It's mm-hmm. something to see. It's a throwback uh, of the 1800s where they make it seem like the train is coming right at them, so they get spooked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they hadn't seen things like that back then. And. Uh, Jack goes to to grab her hand or, or put his arm around her shoulder. The the classic move. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does not work. She she doesn't want him around her. No, and then 
when the the show is over, he says, "Let's go get some ice cream," and she says, "No," and he says, "How about coffee?" That's, that's when he, that's when he asks to, to hold her hand, and she's like, "No," <laughs> not she's like, like that. I, she says, "Like I'm not into that kind of stuff." Yeah, hand holding ice cream, the whole whole deal. She just doesn't want a piece of him. Um, she stresses that they have a curfew of ten o'clock. They have to, mm-hmm. you know, stay true to that. And for all we know, maybe she's doing the right thing. Maybe they would have lost her jobs if they didn't skip the, those things. So, kudos to Bridget to standing her ground. I don't really like this Jack guy. I don't know either of these characters enough to care about this as a subplot. There's just something about the way he talks that just doesn't seem New Yorkish. He's, I mean, I understand it's a different era. He's too much it of an innocent so for me to believe that there's any ill will in this man. No, I don't. I don't think there's any ill will in this man. I, I think he's a, a, one in a long line of doofuses that Julian Fellows presents to us from his television series of people who just don't get that women aren't that much into them. Mm-hmm. This is very, sure. yeah, very Jimmy or dare I say, uh, uh, William. Will definitely William. Uh, Where they get hung up on a grill and then by hook or crook somehow they end up together, <laughs> even though one of them does not want to be with the other. So can't wait to see how this works out. I, I mean, I can. I can. This could be. This is boring. The, the downstairs okay. have yet to move the needle for me any which way. So that's the one A uh, downstairs plot. I guess the one B would just be Across in the, the Russell's. Yeah, in the Russell's house. Uh, Miss Turner, again, abruptly, you know, stops in front of George uh, Russell to, to get his uh, attention mm-hmm. and just offers her help. She just says, everyone downstairs supports you. Right, because she heard some argument with, between him and uh, Bertha and just, you know, we're, we're on your side. And then she has a little uh, scene downstairs where she says, I have a bigger plan in motion right now. Right. Which because, is almost cut and paste of Edna Braithwaite with Tom Branson saying, like, I'm going to get hitched on this money saddle. Yeah. I like the idea of Julian Fells getting paid millions of dollars just to copy and paste from one <laughs> script to another. Um, and here we are. I mean, there's, getting... There is a wrinkle. There is a slight, slight wrinkle that that scene comes with Mr. Watson, the, the bald-headed man downstairs, who's the Mr. Bannister of that house, or you know, the Mr. Carson, if you will. Mm-hmm. And he he's kind of staring at her, and I I get the feeling he's giving her a look of he's uncertain about her. He, he doesn't know what to think of her, but he go he goes up and says he's going for a walk in Central Park. I guess you know he likes to go for walks and breaks, but we don't really know yet. Mm-hmm. And Miss Bruce uh, says, "I think he fancies you," which I don't think the bald man does. <laughs> but I, I do like the idea that there may be some kind of uh, mistaken ideas of who, who's in the who here. Yeah, that, that yeah. <laughs> and, and but that's why Miss Turner kind of laughs it off because she says. No, I got bigger plans because we all know she's angling for George Russell. Great. <laughs> <laughs> that's the downstairs this week, folks. If that's what you're tuning into this podcast for, you're up to date on the downstairs. We'll see you next week on the podcast. <laughs> yep. um, well, what do we want to tackle next? Because I, I feel like we can keep circling around the, the main events. I think Aunt Ada is an easy one to knock out. Oh, jeez. Another sort of about... Downton-esque plot. Who's in town this week, Dave? Who is coming to visit? Um, Eckhart. What's his his Cornelius yeah, Eckhart the third? Yeah, and he is in he's town. 
because uh, he has caught wind that Aunt Ada was going to be involved in this Red Cross situation, which it features real life, well, not real life, but Clara Barton, who is the real founder of the Red Cross, or one of the, I'm not sure the exact history there, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they have a historical figure passing through town. It's like the Oregon Trail in the Gilded Age. (laughs) Yeah, have you met Henry Ford? Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, at this event, though, there is a Mr. Eckerd there, there, and he recognizes Ada. Mm -hmm. He's He's glancing over at her, trying to get her attention, and Marion's like, oh boy, look. Yeah. Uh, and they're just delighted to be reconnected for the moment. Yeah. But he ingratiates it, himself real quick. He, want, he He's like, let's catch up. <laughs> and Ada's a little bit on the fence, but Marion is very much like, hey, you're an old lady. Let's go. Have some fun. Yeah, get out there. Have some fun with him. And then they bump into each other at the next... Uh, Red Cross event mm-hmm. and he's like would you mind if I called upon you mm-hmm. and she's like okay let's go and, and we get some background knowledge that like they used to be friends mm-hmm. but it seems like he he well he, he says he's living in Connecticut now he's just in New York a little bit mm-hmm. but that he may not have money or his family may or he may be looking for money or something like that there, there there's they're feeling that he's fishing around clearly by approaching Ada out of nowhere. Well, Ada's not feeling that, and I don't think Marion is either. Right, Agnes is the one kind of speculating on this. Yeah, and we have a, a real, real moment from Agnes when when Cornelius comes to visit. Yeah, if we didn't say his full name, let it be known that his name is Cornelius Eckert, the third. <laughs> the third. That that's the most important part of the name. And yeah, he's there to to have tea. Mm-hmm. And Agnes makes sure that Ada leaves the room to go fetch some tea or go you know check on it. And she lets Eckerd know what she thinks of him in no uncertain terms. Not even lets her lets him know, but brings out evidence, brings out facts mm-hmm. from the past. Okay, what what are those facts? She says that we. He had been overheard and at a pub as a young man after courting Ada or, you know, laying down the law with Ada. Not the law, but, you know, laying down his mm-hmm. Mac game where he says he found himself a, a meal ticket to marry. And that's mm-hmm. why the family swiftly put an end to them seeing each other. And she said she says to him, look, if you if you want to get with my sister, well, just know this. She doesn't have any money. All the money here is my money. And if you marry her, she's got to move out. So she doesn't have a place to stay. And you would have to support her because the family's broke because of Marion's father, who is now deceased, having sold all of our belongings. So basically, there's nothing for you if you don't actually love this woman and plan on doing some good. And before that scene even ends, I just know from classic Julian, or maybe just watching a lot of these dramas, this guy's going to excuse himself before any more can be said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ada comes back and Eckerd's like, "Oh, I forgot I have an appointment. I, I got to be going now. Bye, bye, folks." And then that's it. Very, uh, very familiar interaction there. Very much. Now, yeah. did this happen on? I feel like this happened on Dallas. 
I, I totally, totally. So, someone always fishing for money coming around that family. Uh, this is the, this mean, is I, a uh, what's his our, our this is Pete Gordon. Exactly. Even the way he talks reminded me of, of the long lost uh, family member on Downton Abbey that we got for one episode. Don't you remember me? Those good times. Uh, except this guy has a face instead of a burned face. <laughs> like he's got some. He's show. got sideburns. Maybe he should cover those sideburns up. Yeah, they were they were pretty dangerous. Uh, but they were pretty like. I don't know, harsh on Ada, I think, in this episode where they say she doesn't have any money or prospects, you know? Well, she's a spinster. She's she's Aunt Rosamond. Yeah. She's got nothing going for her. But she's such her. a positive person, you know? Why, why, why hate? She seems very whimsical. I don't know. I think she's mm-hmm. po- her positivity comes with a... And I'm sure we'll get deeper into her character because you don't bring on a heavy hitter like, like what, Cynthia Nixon, that's who it plays her, without yep. any any intentions of doing more than just have her be a side sister. Sure. I, I mean, even in that moment when they send off uh, Cornelius, you can see Ada's just kind of sitting there trying to process it. And I, I, I wonder if there's going to be a rift between her and Agnes. Like, they, they've been too close for too long. Then, like, what other drama could there be there, you know? I mean, I think she'll just anyway. be the sort of bridge between Marion and Agnes, and I think she's going to have to pick a side at some point. And yeah. I think she'll... It'll be a real... Uh, Airbud moment, if you will, where she's got to pick between where her heart is saying and where the money is. You mean the, the golden retriever dog who plays basketball? Yeah, at the end of the movie, he's got to pick between his abusive former owner, the clown, and the boy. Right, and, and not his love of basketball. That, that That's not an option. No, well, I mean, just... if you go with the boy, you get to play basketball. You're shooting hoops. Oh, okay. John is going to have to air... choose between a clown and a basketball-playing teenager. So that that's what's going to happen with Cynthia Nixon's character at some that's point this season. That's that deep thing I'm talking about that she's going to have to handle. Choose between Agnes and Marion. Well, on the point of Marion, this Rakes fella oy, is oy, back oy. in town. <laughs> I mean, we just went through this on watching Poldark where a character says, I'll see you around sometime. And we're like, well, maybe she'll be back next episode. Maybe not. This Rakes guy, again, he's back already. Mm-hmm. But, he's home. I mean, he is, work, he, he is working in the city. He's got he an is office. Doing, yeah. Uh, he even yeah, so he requests uh, you know to to meet up with her. You know the message comes through in the mail. Do we want to talk to Peggy or something, or is it purely for the message comes that he's in the city? Mm-hmm. So Peggy and Marion. I think it is to talk to Peggy, but it, the, they advise uh, Marion in that moment. You know, watch out. <laughs> you know, th- this guy may be interested in you. Yeah, I think Agnes sees. Through you know, she her her BS filter is 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 catching a lot of stuff with, with this young man, and she just doesn't see him as a prospect for her. So right, he's a, he's an adventurer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, whatever that means. He's in, he's going to 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 open up the Holy Grail or find the Holy Grail and open up the Ark of the Covenant, and then he's going to go open a <laughs> yeah, law firm. He is our Indiana Jones. Um, they meet up. And you know we get a moment outside with uh, with Rakes and Marion, mm-hmm. and uh, this guy wants to uh, get serious with her. He wants to get on a, a knee. Oh, that's later. That's after they have to schedule their mystery meeting. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm I'm jumping way ahead. So there's what, a scene happened? at the the law office where uh-huh. they chat, and he's like, "Hey, can we see each other again?" And she's like, "How? You can't call. You can't come over." 
I don't know where you live. I don't want to go. You know, she's she's into the formalities at this point. But this is that isn't that when they ask to go out for a walk right there, and they say, uh, "Stay behind, Peggy." And then no, they no, do they that. say, "I'll be at is it Madison Square Park in a, okay. next Monday at oh, five o'clock." Right, right. And that's the, where we then see the glorious hand of the Statue of Liberty. That is is it Madison Square Park? Yeah. So that's yeah, where that's where right where Shake Shack is going to be. Is that where Shake Shack is? Yeah, that's where that's where that big OG Shake Shack is. I mean, I this is, this is really bad for me as a New Yorker, having worked two blocks away from the Flatiron Building. Well, I think yes, that is Madison Square Park. It, I mean, it was before Shake Shack was a national thing, so it was novel right. to be there. Yep. Meanwhile, that, a little less important than the Shake Shack is the hand of the Statue of Liberty, because they're still trying to get funding uh, to to build this entire construction for them but they talk about it in this episode how they're going to send the hand over there mm-hmm. place it on the statue then bring it back yep and this is the moment where rakes basically says like i want to be with you yeah like you know we, we can make this work we got a good thing going here and marion says i've only met you a handful of times mm-hmm and you know he says like it's not just a stay it's a new life you know we can go here and there we can do whatever you know uh but yeah he is quite uh serious about this yeah and i just don't understand why because i think marion's sentiment is so on the nose where she's like i don't dislike you i just don't know you right It, it seems pretty fast uh but she seems to be buying in, though, for the most part. Yeah, she seems she seems excited, but she doesn't. She seems a little hesitant, which is why she doesn't immediately say yes. What do you What do you think Rake's angle is here, Dave? I don't know. That's the thing because he knows she's worthless as far as money is concerned. Maybe he's just and, and to say he loves her after meeting her a handful of times mm-hmm. is is not a appropriate thing? I don't know. It's not a, a fleshed out thought. But that's the thing. Do you think she's actually worthless? You think about it. You go back to the beginning of the series. He's the one telling her that she has no no money or anything. It makes me wonder like, does he know something about what's left behind uh, of her dad's fortune? It, it, I mean, he told her he, should, she, he doesn't have one. But what if there's some angle here where like, he knows there is one. He just has to marry into her to get it or something. Like, it's, like, bequeathed to whoever it marries her. That's I'm, not I'm a bad That's not a bad thought. I mean, I, I, so do you think he's being... Do you think he actually loves her, or do you think he's being a... He's being a, a kind of like all these other... Like, Mr. Uh, Eckhart being... Yeah, I just think he's coming in a little fast. 100%. He's coming in fast. There's something, there's something up here. I, 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 don't, I think it's more than just, you know, him not being fit for Marion. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Sure. Uh, I think that's most of the this episode of Marion, who, again, is uh, supposed to be our intro to like this whole world. Yeah, Ma- Mar- well, Marion and Peggy, I feel like, are... Sure. So we, Peggy doesn't have too much going on this week, but, but we... Dave, I sent, I sent you a tweet this morning <laughs> where someone tweeted, this is the worst actress on TV, and they had a picture of Marion. <laughs> I don't think um, she's that bad. I think she's a little... I think she's supposed to stand out in this show. Right. We talked about this last week, how she has not actually been in any other piece of media. She's been on some Broadway, but 
she is Meryl Streep's daughter. <laughs> so that definitely had to have played a fact a factor in her getting cast in the show. I I I wouldn't say she's bad. I just don't see it yet. I don't see her yeah as something. I, I worth, think like, Fellows wants great. to do with her what what the Ballers crew did with John David Washington. They want to say that they put their they found them. put their flag on that and claimed it as their you know rookie project. The great HBO show Ballers uh, produced by Dwayne Johnson, starring Dwayne Johnson, and then we covered it on Denzel the Washington's son. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. hey, it's a good it's a good line. It's true. That is true. The nepotism of Hollywood. All right. Uh, as you were saying, though, Pe- Peggy uh, Peggy Scott. We see she has another closed-door meeting with Rakes. We don't know what's going on there. Still some mystery there. Mm-hmm. But then she... Does she get a letter to meet with her father? Or do we just... Yeah, she has to set up a meeting with her with her dad. Is she, though? Uh, was it... Uh, I thought they were just going for... Or was it father? He, yeah, he meets her in the park... Yeah, yeah, he he does want to want to meet with her, mm-hmm. and uh, it's her mom's birthday, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, you could just come home, and she's like, yeah. I'm working, and I think this is a big independence versus cultural dignity moment for them, and we see this even to the point where they're talking on the sidewalk and they need to move to the edge of the sidewalk because some white people are walking by. Oh my god, I, that that moment just made me. It was very well observed where they're just standing there talking to each other and white people wait for them to move out of the way. It's like, man, white people, the worst. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, they, they get out of the way. And uh, it's almost like they're talking around whatever their rift is that's going on between them. I think they kind of hit it at the end, though. Well, what, why, why is she out of there? Why, why isn't she living at home? Well, I think she's not living at home because of the rift between them. And because well, of, I mean, that's what I mean. They're talking about whatever that rift is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they get that to that at the end of the conversation with on. her chasing her dreams and him not believing that the the white world will publish the short stories and poems of a colored person. So I I don't think that that can be all to it though because you know she left home. Uh, well, and, do we you know, know why says, she was like, in Pennsylvania? I don't know. I mean, the the key thing is, he says he can, you know, she can come back and he can forgive her, and then she says, for, yeah, uh, you know, or she can give, you know, she forgive herself, and he's like, and she's like, why would I have to forgive myself? She's like, huh? Then it's like, well, what what's going on there? Just a little bit. But there he says break bread with the family. <laughs> so she concedes to go for her mother's birthday, and he and mm-hmm. he's also very upset with her, for working in service and living in the servants quarters as if that's some sort of shameful thing but we see you know all of these characters that are living in service and have dignity so Mm -hmm. I think it's a I think whatever he's doing and I'm sure we'll find out more about him as the show goes on he must be making money for a person he of looks color. Nice. Yeah, he's like, dressed He looks nicely. like he's living nice. So yeah. so I'm sure we'll dive deeper into that, but it's definitely an uncomfortable scene for them. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't get much more comfortable for Peggy as the episode goes on. Right. She's very proud of herself because she just got uh, a letter of interest about her, her short stories from the... Christian Advocate. Christian Advocate. And even her father says, what are you going to be doing with that white newspaper? It's like, well, they like my, my articles. And he says, well, if they turn you down, you can always come work for me. 
Like she's working yep. at a big house in in Manhattan. Like she's, she's doing it. She's fine. fine. She's living uptown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we can get to that. She she goes in for that meeting with the newspaper. Mm-hmm. They they almost just stop her right there when they ask her to come in for a meeting when the the was it secretary is just like well, we didn't know like you're colored. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't think you'll be able to meet with him today. She and she stands her ground to her credit. She, she's like, nope, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm fine waiting. I'll have my time. And then at the end of the day, she, it's dark out. The editor mm-hmm. comes and talks to her and says, you know, we'll publish you, but you have to make some concessions because of, uh, you know, your who you are. And it's funny because it's almost like a little bit of a turn there because it seems like the guy is like. Yeah, come in here. You should have been in here, you know. Like, he's ready to talk to her until he gets to that beat where it's like, well, yeah, we'll publish you with some, you know, redactions and, and changes mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to to your story. To Which, again, Peggy stands her ground. It's like, well, no. A, you're going to buy this so you'll own the story. And B, you're changing it so it's losing some of its, you know, power. And she has so, to sort of anonymously take the credit she can never yeah publicly own up to the fact that this is her because and and i think this is the editor i think he he's teetering on that line of a woke julian character where he wants to do yeah, this he, but he knows that there's so much on the line if he is righteous yeah he's trying his best but peggy says the best where when she says i'd be lying if i did this for a christian newspaper <laughs> And, but he's just like, I'm trying to do what I can here. I don't know. And I, and I don't think that he's in the wrong because I think that he recognizes that her work is good work. Yeah. He even gives an example that, you know, there's people at bars drinking right now, you know, who would want to be in this position that you're in. And Literally like, the people well, that were there before her. He turned them down yeah. because he knew how good her work was. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, I'm in the position. And nope. Bye-bye. <laughs> Know your own I, worth. I, I was. I thought that they were going to go full on racist heel white editor mm-hmm. saying, "No, you definitely stole this work. Who'd you steal it from?" Mm. Or like, here's a piece of paper. For briefly, write a write a story in ten minutes, and then I want to make sure you're who you say you are, kind of thing. But, yeah, especially you know claiming to be a secretary, and they're just like, "You said you were a secretary. How are you?" And she's like, "I am, man." Anyways, uh, I do like that she. I think even more than Marion, she is staying true to her who she is, you know, not mm-hmm. being pushed around by others. Um, she did write to the New York Globe, but they never responded to her. So hopefully, some newspaper by the end of the season will, uh, you know, accept her writing. This is definitely a character that is not going to lose. Hundred percent, definitely not. I think we'll find out what the family drama is, but she will overcome it in a triumphant victory where she. Where she her her whatever is going on with the family is eclipsed by the fact that some publication picks her up. Sure. Uh, and the last thing I think that's like on the outskirts of the main plot of this episode is uh, Oscar Van Ryan. Yep. And uh, you know of, of the Agnes clan, he he is uh, prospecting Gladys Russell. Yeah, Larry invites him over for a dinner, to which Agnes says, uh, "You stabbed me in the side." And he says, uh, it's lucky that you have the skin of a rhinoceros. <laughs> so he's inherited a little bit of dowager quipisms from his mother. Yeah. 
He's he's sassy. We do see him in bed with his male lover again this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, they 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 linger on the show. He's jacked and ripped as any person in eighteen hundreds, you know, looked physically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and yeah, he's got designs for this Gladys. He's going over there for dinner, and he he doesn't really you know sugarcoat his intentions. He's you know specifically talking to her during this this dinner. Mm-hmm. But is she not and of I, age? Is that she's barely of age? It seems like. Like this, this dude's said, in his forties, as we know in real world. But in the show, he's he's not. Uh, he, I don't. So think in the so. show, he's probably in his thirties. We could say twenties, late twenties, late twenties, early thirties. Let's say probably yeah. maybe maybe because Agnes is significantly older than Ada. Even mm-hmm. I feel like so. Yeah. I think it's believable that he's been sort of a playboy, rich kid, sure. into his into his thirties. So yeah. But he sees Gladys as being perfect, so she must be of age. She's rich, uh, single, nice is the key thing he says. She's nice. <laughs> and he says that she's she's innocent, so she wouldn't suspect anything. Yeah. And the dude's like, hey, but what about me, man? Can we still do this? And he's like, I and don't he's know. he's kind of like, yeah, he's kind of wishy-washy. And he's like, yeah, I think so. Well, I he think says, we could. I what if I like going for the other side? And then the guy's like, come on, man. And he's like, I'm just kidding. Yeah, like, what if I like being like a duck in the pond or something like that? <laughs> All right, dude. Um, but at this dinner, Gladys isn't really paying too much attention to him. Yeah, she's talking about some really... other young man who's also underage. Yeah. And because we get a brief scene with her and her helper this episode, where she's like has interest in inviting someone else over for dinner. Yeah, and she talks to uh, George, and George is like, "Oh, you're just trying to get me sure. to do something because you don't want to talk to your mom." Mm-hmm. And then when they bring it up at dinner, Bertha's like, "Uh, I." I if you if you're sitting at my table, you need to be approved. You need to be on the list. Yeah, and, and I don't think we see that happen, so we don't get to see this guy that she's pursuing in this episode. No, uh, uh, did we see him last week? I don't know. I feel like this is going to be some another sort of Julian big-headed boy character. Right. We'll, we'll definitely notice him when he shows up. But for right now, Oscar is looking towards her I don't think he realizes that he probably doesn't stand much of a chance there's some things that come up later in this episode tied to the main plot where he starts to regret his choice but we don't really get any resolution to that because <laughs> everything's rectified by then so it doesn't matter well Oscar is not he's a peripheral character so I feel like it's th- this is the appropriate amount of screen time for someone like him at this moment sure oh sure but it does clarify for us that more than anything he's interested in money from her it's not necessarily love the dude wants money he wants more money yeah, that's what he says. <laughs> but he's also not trying to be a bad man to her. I think he knows how contrarian his lifestyle is, and how he would probably be killed if he was discovered. Yeah, he's, he's trying to do it the square, fair way, mm-hmm. uh, even if it isn't really noble on his part to do it. <laughs> yeah, but he seems like he actually w- wants to spend time. You know, if if he had to pick someone to live with, she seems like someone he would be fine with. Hmm. So, it's funny how, you know, the show starts with Marion uh, as our way into this world, but it really seems like the Russells have been, like, the focus of so much of the show thus far. They're the they're the, the sizzle on, on the stake, for sure. Absolutely, and they take charge of this episode. We do get a bit uh, at the beginning of the episode, kind of um, following up on last week, where uh, we hear Aurora Fane is organizing a charity, uh, you know the bazaar made two thousand dollars last week, but Agnes points out you know they they were a lot a laughing stock, so mm-hmm. you know they they're probably just trying to just do one again where they won't be such a joke or made fun of 
Ben and, and Russells and are clearly not happy. Marion has multiple moments in this episode where she just doesn't understand her place. And she's like, why don't we mm-hmm. invite the, the Russells? And they're like, oh, not after last time. And she said, didn't you say that was the most profitable charity event you've ever had? And yes. they're like, <laughs> yeah. And she's like, come on now. And they're mm-hmm. like, this is not how this works. And the same thing happens when they're talking about the new opera house. And she says, yeah. well, that sounds like a better opera house. And all the old money people are like, uh-uh, that's not how you talk around us. Right. We do see Ada taking Marion out briefly in this episode, you know, to, to meet the, the rich folk. And, and yeah, she, she makes that comment about the opera house and makes her stick out like a sore thumb. But through that conversation, we definitely get the drift that Russell's did not ingratiate themselves at all last week with their behavior of, uh, paying all the people who had items up for charity and stuff. Mm-hmm. They said this, they, they, they disrupted the old money scene. Mm-hmm. But there's a uh, rumors of the, a law that George was, you know, campaigned to get put into effect, getting rescinded, uh, mm-hmm. that would, uh, allow for the construction of a train station there in New York city. Yes. So Dave, did you follow the bit of business that is the trouble of this episode? What do you mean? The how? Did, how so? The, the short selling the, the, of the stock. Yeah, and there's the inside. You know, they they were selling off because they were gonna the the lawmakers or whoever Morris is mm-hmm. trying to get rid of it before they purposely tanked the law. Right. So, so they, you know, what was it Mr. Morris and Mr. Fain and others? They borrowed to short sell a bunch of uh, stock in George Russell's company. Because the law that was going to go into effect to drive the the uh, value of the company up is now getting rescinded or looking to get rescinded, which means it will crater in value and essentially it would leave Ru- the Russells broke. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so they are trying to take advantage of that situation there. Yeah, uh, and they're the ones George manipulating the law coming and going too. So yep. And George is not happy at all with them. No, and he's he's trying to figure out what to do. And I think Bertha is not given much in this episode. But every time mm-hmm. you see her, all she's doing is basically saying, "We've done this before. We can do this again. I support you." Which is, yeah, you'll I think, get more money. One of the most understated things a Julian character can do. A, pro- a Julian protagonist is just act as a support. Yeah. And uh, I think we even hear was it George early in this episode, you know, talking about. Was is it to Mr. Morris, you know, about what they're doing, and they tell him the public position has moved away from him. You know, <laughs> just things are not going his way. Mm-hmm. They try to say like the new station, rail station, wouldn't be popular, and yeah, yeah, he's not having it. Uh, he blames himself, but you know, it is through that inspiration that you say, you know, Bertha talking to him, that he'll figure it out. That George knows what to do. Yeah, and what he starts doing is buying up all his stock as it comes as as these short sellers are selling it. Right, he's buying the, the, the stock in his company to raise the value in his company, uh, which means he's holding the line. He, he, he people thought it was going to fall apart, but no, he has enough money. He thinks if it doesn't work out, if like you know these people hold on to uh, their their short bets, they will go broke. But he thinks he has enough money to kind of keep keep the value of his company afloat and even going higher that these people would lose mm-hmm. out on their bet, which would essentially bankrupt them. <laughs> so 
he's going he's going going getting real drastic real quick with them. Mm-hmm. And we see who is Russell bump into at the is it Oscar? Yeah, this is the moment yeah. where Oscar sees him and Oscar starts having second thoughts about um Gladys because he he comes into this realization that oh no, if the Russells go broke, I'm screwed. I need to hitch my 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 what a beard he needs to find a new beard for himself yeah well what that be wouldn't that be a shame for gladys she doesn't end up with oscar maybe she gets to pursue this archie baldwin character that she's interested in Mm -hmm. wouldn't that be a shame for gladys uh but george is you know kind of keeping his cards close to his vest because you know they're all kind of operating in in shadows here and they're like we think he's doing this we're not sure though yeah yeah, because the, the, they expect it to plummet, but it doesn't plummet. So there, there's some consternation early on in this episode with, with Mr. Fane. Uh, and, and to the point where Mr. Fane and Mr. Morris talk to their wives to try and go convince mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Bertha to do something about it, to, to help out, because it could bankrupt them. Yeah, no, I believe it's um, Mr. Fane is, is like, he says to uh, Aurora, he says, you're going to have to go talk to her. She's like... I don't know about that. I I don't think that's something. He's like, this is not a an option. You right. you must go and convince mm-hmm. her. And and we see this sort of meeting where it's very awkward. You know, Bertha's yeah. Bertha kind of owns the room, but she's also them. like, I don't involve myself in my husband's business. I just involve. She I just run the house. She's more or less telling her too, like, why do I have to show sympathy for you? What 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 favor do I owe you mm-hmm. after the way you've treated me? <laughs> Which is so on point, and, and it's needless to say, it doesn't work. Their chance to appeal to Bertha just falls on deaf ears. She she doesn't care about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think then leads to that scene where they all have to come meet with a George uh, you know Fane Morris and, and crew to plead with them on, on bended knee <laughs> literally like, bended knee begging yeah don't do this to us we're going to be, go bankrupt and George has a moment in the sun he, yeah he lets them know <laughs> you know you, was it, you took me for a fool and it's like I ain't one you know <laughs> you, you done played with fire he says you can't write a check without making a deposit. It's a, oh, is, does he say that, or is that uh, that? I think that's um, Bertha who says that. No, oh, I thought that was that, that same scene. Either way, regardless, it's a, that's a line. <laughs> right, you, you don't write checks that your ass can't cash, essentially. But mm-hmm. back then, that it's yeah, don't write a check unless you have a bank account. <laughs> it, it took some time for it to become a catchier of a phrase. Uh, this is where he says the face the music line where he says like i'm gonna say a word that's popular in modern culture time mm-hmm. for y'all to face the music and he right and he holds it against him that they snubbed his wife that was like an offense to him like they didn't even realize it. you know beyond just them trying to rescind this law and, and trying to tank them he has to punish them for for the way they've carried themselves oh and punish them he does yeah He's not. He's not going to do anything about it. <laughs> uh, so we get a, a, a coda to, to this uh, at the end of the episode. Yeah, Morris goes what, home. Uh huh. And he sees his wife, and his, he's like, "Are my children home?" And he gives them this long. He says he loves his wife. He's so proud of her. 
and they take you know time to go to his room our favorite trope in all these British dramas gun to the head but this time we see a blood splatter that uh, seems to have connected Mr. Morris blows his brains out couldn't face the music couldn't own up to the fact that he he tried to set and it's not it's not the fact that you know they try to make a quick buck they try to destroy this man yeah and and it makes me think though how long was their position because if they held on a little bit longer that George wouldn't have any any upper hand and also they didn't necessarily have to um, try to put the law back in effect they could have just tanked George if they really want to they didn't have to put the law back into effect I think mm-hmm. oh they either yeah because either way it would have yeah because even if they didn't put the law back in effect then George's value would have lost so well, I think George, again, I, I George guess has would, some more up his sleeve right I, I think there must have been something where the their shorting was coming to an end they, they couldn't because that was the thing they were betting that he didn't have deep enough pockets to keep it going for x amount of time they said, yeah he all did. he has to do is go another day or two right and then he might right. lose it and it's like ah, i don't know about that yeah. you you wonder if mr morris has like life insurance on, on himself to help the family out otherwise it's gonna be a quick exit for that family <laughs> uh in this series yeah but we'll see you next week yeah it's funny though Dave with these rich people all they had to do was just be nice to the Russells the Russells were just asking for kindness and to you know be welcome into the world and because of their you know way they carried themselves they're seeing their their way out of it and the Russells don't even come in hot as some rude people they're just trying to ingratiate themselves I mean George is literally in the last episode giving uh, Mr. Morris a way into the business mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he's giving him a leg up saying like if you pass this law we're in business together it's, everything's gravy like come on dude nice and, to meet uh, you Mr. Mr. Morris you played with fire you got burned but yeah it, it's funny because the, the line the full line is life is like a, a, a bank account can't write a check without first making a deposit boom <laughs> there, there you go that's pretty much the whole episode, right, Dave? Yeah, this this was a this was a good episode three. Yeah, it was solid. I think this train is rolling. I think with any Julian show, you just give me give me a little bit of time to get to know the characters, and I'm in. And this was a uh, definitely that. Yeah, I, I do feel like he Julian's gonna he is aggressive though. He's just lobbing a lot of balls in the air mm-hmm. and just seeing where they they fall. But I, I trust him. I think the one of the upsides of the sort of recycled plots is we can pay attention more to the other ones. Sure. Yeah. It's like you can already figure out the trajectory of some of these, so it's like, yep, I'm upset on this. All right, Julian. Yeah, thanks, Julian. Yeah. Well, Dave, who do you got going down this week on our power rankings? Well, in the third place going down, I got Peggy. Okay. Because, you know, it's not a total wash for her. But we see something. This thing with Rakes is looming. This beef with her father's looming. She's got to go home and face the music with her mother at least for one night. And this thing with the Christian advocate, she kind of leaves with her pride. But this is a huge opportunity that she's never had before that she has to turn down out of principle. So not a great look mm-hmm. for Peggy. Sure. Well, number three, I got Jack Treacher because he's not Jack Reacher and also he got denied by Bridget on their date after taking the whole night off and trying to entertain her and stuff and he just failed hard so okay congratulations you played yourself Jack thanks Jack thanks for coming Jack Mm -hmm. 
Yep. Well, number two, I got Mr. Eckhart. Yeah, I got Cornelius. Cornelius, the corn man. Um, <laughs> Saw right through him. You waited your whole life to shoot this shot a second time, and Agnes mm-hmm. Agnes sniped you right down. I, I feel like this isn't the last of him, because he does give like a bit of a look, a lingering look at Ada there at the end of the episode. So maybe he's not totally... Like I said, we don't know enough about this guy to make our final judgments. Right. But definitely a loser this week. Absolutely. And then number one's got to be... I got a tie no for number one. Yeah, I got, I got a tie also. It's Fane and Morris. 100%. These two thought they could get one over on George. And I would say I would try to say that Morris has it off worse because he kills himself. But Fane <laughs> is going to have to face the music next week. Fane's yeah. got to live with this. Fane might have it worse because he doesn't take the cowardly way out. Right. I can't believe it really went to the, that extremes that quickly. But it must be a thing also where Julian's like, man, I got these Broadway actors for a short amount of time. You know, might as well burn right through them. And as Julian has said, the only way to get rid of characters sometimes is just to <laughs> off them or kill them. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's how he saw it. Uh, but, yeah, rest in peace, Mr. Morris. Hard times, man. Couldn't make it through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice to see you. <laughs> yep. Well, who do you got going up, Corey? Number three, I got Agnes. She really flexes here on and Eckerd and just, you know, reminds him, like, you have no place here. And just, again, just reiterating her power, her position of strength here on the show. Mm-hmm. Well, number three going up, I got Bertha because, as we said, okay. as a support structure, she's she's kind of critical in this episode in keeping George's head in the right place. Because George is, yeah. is having second thoughts a lot in this episode about, is this smart? What should I do? I really don't know. And she continually says, we've made a fortune. We can lose a fortune to make another fortune. Mm-hmm. And you got to give it up to her because that scene in the bedroom, he's like, hey, can I stay? Can I stay, sleep in here tonight? <laughs> well, what was that exchange? Do they actually sleep in different beds or something? I think it's or like, it just it's like Down talk? Abbey where I think that, you know, they're not always sleeping in the same room. They have their own quarters as is formality okay. at the time. But, right. you know, and, and yeah. Carrie Coon's showing out. She, she came to HBO for those big bucks. So she said, all right. Sure. Uh, well, number two for me, I got Peggy Scott. Okay. I thought this is a very strong week for her in terms of just showing that she is a person of true character. You know, she's not going to take it from this Christian advocate newspaper. Nope. She's not going to take it from her father. She's going to, you know, live her life and then keep, you know, doing her. So it re- I think really spoke highly of, you know, her character and who she is. So wow. big ups to her. Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, she, she leaves with her head held high. I just think she takes a hit. I don't think she takes any hit. I think she knows her own self-worth. Doesn't need anyone else to tell her what well, she, it is. She wasted a day in that lobby for nothing. To learn something about herself. <laughs> that she doesn't need them. <laughs> sure. Well, who's number two for you, Dave? I got Agnes. I think that, that promo was a good two minutes of just her mm-hmm. cutting them down. Cutting old Eckhart yeah. down. And she doesn't do much in this episode, but this episode is a lot of tertiary characters fleshing themselves out. And Agnes needs two minutes to basically say, like, no, I run the bingo. This is my house. Like, be gone, Eckhart. Yep. Bye bye. Well, number one, it's got to be. It's the big the dog. Of the week. <laughs> it is uh, the the uh, George Terrier Russell, as we want to call him. I think. Oh yeah, the Rus- George Russell Terrier. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Something else. He just he goes for blood, man. He goes for the throat. He he shut down. He his shows no mercy. <laughs> 
and this is apparently based on a, a true story of the Vanderbilts where competition tried to do the same to him and he just clapped back in a similar fashion. So George with the master playbook there, man. Good for him. Boom. He, he's great. And I like this there actor. I like uh, Morgan Spector's good. I've heard like he's a very well respected, very good actor in every other place that he's uh, popped up. So, yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at what he's been in, and I don't recognize too much of it. He's a Broadway man, and I'm just glad we're getting some of the exposure right now. Oh yeah, make that HBO yeah. money, Morgan. Absolutely. Well, that's that's that. that's that. that. <laughs> Boom. Dave, you you've had time to watch anything else this week? Uh. I watched two two jackass movies to to sort of temper my mind after watching the Gilded Age, in oh, preparation okay. for go? the new one, which I have not yet seen. So, mm-hmm. those were fun. And then uh, the 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 usual docket of what I'm currently watching: Peacemaker, Gemstones, and Boba Fett are my three. I well, think. we we should check in on Boba Fett right now. Okay. You said a couple weeks ago, some people were out on the show, and we were like, "Yeah, we're okay with it. We're, we 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 don't mind it. We like where it is, where it's going." And then the past two weeks, Dave. A hard left from from that conversation. And didn't I, did I? I don't know if I said it on this podcast or just in to other people that at the, a couple of weeks ago I said they really only have like four episodes left. They're gonna have to really do some plot moving to to get us yeah. to the finish line. And they say no, 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 no. We're gonna There's do no the Mandalorian the season three. <laughs> yeah, uh, and throw in some disturbing throwbacks of, of uh, through CG and animation to you know unsettle you. <laughs> CG and animation and voice, the voice manipulation. That, that's that's the creepiest thing is the voice manipulation because they they bring in if anyone hasn't watched Mandalorian yet, we're not going to spoil yeah. it for you. They bring in an old character, but they didn't the, the actor who's still very much alive. They didn't have him voice him. He's a very good a- voice actor, but no, they say we have computers today to do this for us, and it feels that is the most unnatural thing. I think the the face technology has improved. Like I, I can like semi buy into that, but the voice is just. That's not human. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. That's Sky like some Disney born. World stuff. And Disney World would yeah. pay the person to come and record the lines before putting on a mm-hmm. robot. So strange. So strange the, the choices they're making on that show. Not complaining about all of it. I'm, I'm enjoying it still. It's oh, just yeah, it's, not at all what I signed up for. <laughs> yeah, not at all. We didn't need the Mandalorian premiere two weeks in a row mm-hmm. for this. When we yeah. got Boba Fett, who's not a spring chicken of an actor like let's get some fight scenes let's get him in here right what about you anything else Corey? no just uh watch this week's euphoria and that was like an adrenaline shot i I, it's a it's a weird show i know we're talking about an hbo show but like with gilded age but you know this is another hbo show that's the most popular show on tv probably right now it's most discussed at least Mm -hmm. in my reaches and like i feel like it's a very visually stimulating show but the writing is not always quite there Mm -hmm. this week everything was firing at all cylinders it was intense uh and it's like i don't even know if i can say like catch up on the show because it's worth it but if it were to continue on this trajectory based on how this week was i would say absolutely it was was worth shouting out yeah a lot of my coworkers watch it it's uh too too deep and for me to try to like jump in now not that it's but you know yeah. there's there's like when i'm watching like four shows that's a lot for in and, and the show does not hold that back from being full hour like hbo hours every time great yeah so there there you have it well that's, anyways that's though, about that for this week oh uh, before we we fully wrap mm-hmm. and i feel like this deep into the podcast this might be a useless thank you but um 
some Facebook thread in this uh, wrestling podcast group that I'm in did a a little promote yourself what you do on the side aside from talking about wrestling and I dropped the link to this podcast and I said you know this is what I do and got a little bit of likes got a review an iTunes review out of it which is great great and a couple five star ratings so I want to say if anyone from the major pod has made it this far into this thank you thank you I appreciate that yeah and we we appreciate the rest of you, especially new people who are listening oh, yeah, to us yeah. talk about th- this stuff. Uh, so we appreciate all of you. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to, uh, but, to big big shout uh, out to the, the the specific people that did that. Five star reviews are the yeah. greatest thing that you can do for us without being on the Patreon. Maybe better than the Patreon. Absolutely, our algorithm uh, means a lot. It does. So on that note. You can find our old podcast. We have a, a whole archive on a, a Podbean, Lords of Grantham website. You can find them on iTunes or Spotify or what have you. You can always reach out to us at lordsgrantham at gmail. Uh, you can DM us on Instagram. Instagram, for some reason, just alerted me to messages from 55 weeks ago to 90 weeks ago that just never made its way through the oh, filter. Oh, no. Th- thanks, Instagram. Um, just, just catching up on that. Uh, but... Yeah, we're on Twitter also. You can always reach us there, and we'll definitely hear you there. Facebook, we're out there. So we'll catch you next time on the Gilded Age here on the Lords of Grantham podcast. See ya. Yeah.